Hello there, and welcome to episode 20 of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken classic stories to help you get a good night's rest. Thank you for joining me for our 20th episode. It's a pleasure to read to you and help you get down to sleep. Tonight, I am reading The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. If you would like to support the podcast, get episodes that are twice as long and a bonus episode every single week, then you can do so by supporting the podcast on the Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. That's the place to join our little book club where I continue the reading. So the bonus readings in the week, we sometimes continue reading the books that we have already read on these episodes. We finished Alice in Wonderland. We finished The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. We're continuing the picture of Dorian Gray and more. And you get to vote on what I read next. So come on over and join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep. Without further ado, let's begin The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Chapter 1. Introduction. The Time Traveller, for so it will be convenient to speak of him, was expounding a recondite matter to us. His pale grey eyes shone and twinkled, and his usually pale face was flushed and animated. The fire burnt brightly, and the soft radiance of the incandescent lights in the lilies of silver caught the bubbles that flashed and passed in our glasses. Our chairs, being his patents, embraced and caressed us rather than submitted to be sat upon, and there was that luxurious after-dinner atmosphere, when thought runs gracefully free of the trammels of precision. And he put it to us in this way, marking the points with a lean forefinger, as we sat and lazily admired his earnestness over this new paradox as we thought it, and his fecundity. You must follow me carefully, I shall have to controvert one or two ideas that are almost universally accepted. The geometry, for instance, they taught you at school, is founded on a misconception. Is not that rather a large thing to expect us to begin upon, said Philby, an argumentative person with red hair. I do not mean to ask you to accept anything without reasonable ground for it. You will soon admit as much as I need from you. You know, of course, that a mathematical line, a line of thickness, nil has no real existence. They taught you that. Neither has a mathematical plane. These things are mere abstractions. That is all right, said the psychologist. Nor, having only length, breadth, and thickness, can a cube have a real existence. There I object, said Philby. Of course a solid body may exist. All real things, so most people think. But wait a moment. Can an instantaneous cube exist? I don't follow you, said Philby. Can a cube that does not last for any time at all have a real existence? Philby became pensive. Clearly, the time traveller proceeded, any real body must have extension in four directions. It must have length, breadth, thickness, and duration. But, through a natural infirmity of the flesh, which I will explain to you in a moment, we incline to overlook the fact. There are really four dimensions, three which we call the three planes of space, and a fourth, time. There is, however, a tendency to draw an unreal distinction between the former three dimensions and the latter. 
because it happens that our consciousness moves intermittently in one direction along the latter, from the beginning to the end of our lives. That, said a very young man, making spasmodic efforts to relight his cigar over the lamp, that was very clear indeed. Now, it is very remarkable that this is so extensively overlooked, continued the time-traveller, with a slight accession of cheerfulness. Really, this is what is meant by the fourth dimension, though some people who talk about the fourth dimension do not know they mean it. It is only another way of looking at time. There is no difference between time and any of the three dimensions of space except that our consciousness moves along it. But some foolish people have got hold of the wrong side of that idea. You have all heard what they have to say about this fourth dimension. I have not, said the provincial mayor. It is simply this, that space, as our mathematicians have it, is spoken of as having three dimensions which one may call length, breadth, and thickness, and is always definable by reference to three planes, each at right angles to the others. But some philosophical people have been asking, why three dimensions, particularly? Why not another direction at right angles to the other three, and have even tried to construct a four-dimensional geometry? Professor Simon Newcomb was expounding this to the New York Mathematical Society only a month or so ago. You know how on a flat surface, which has only two dimensions, we can represent a figure of a three-dimensional solid? Similarly, they think that by models of three dimensions they could represent one of four, if they could master the perspective of the thing. See? I think so, murmured the provincial mayor, and knitting his brows he lapsed into an introspective state, his lips moving as one who repeats mystic words. Yes, I, I think I see it now, he said after some time, brightening in a quite transitory manner. Well, I do not mind telling you I have been at work upon this geometry of four dimensions for some time. Some of my results are curious. For instance, here is a portrait of a man at eight years old, another at fifteen, another at seventeen, another at twenty-three, and so on. All these are evidently sections, as it were, three-dimensional representations of his four-dimensioned being, which is a fixed and unalterable thing. Scientific people preceded the time-traveller after the pause required for the proper assimilation of this. Know very well that time is only a kind of space. Here is a popular scientific diagram, a weather record. This line I trace with my finger shows the movement of the barometer. Yesterday it was so high, yesterday night it fell, this morning it rose again, and so gently upward to here. Surely the mercury did not trace this line in any dimension of space generally recognized, but certainly it traced such a line, and that line, therefore we must conclude, was along the time dimension. But, said the medical man, staring hard at a coal in the fire, if time is really only a fourth dimension of space, why is it, and why has it always been regarded as something different? Why cannot we move in time as we move about in other dimensions of space? 
The time traveller smiled. Are you sure we can move freely in space? Right and left we can go backward and forward freely enough. And men always have done so. I admit we move freely in two dimensions, but how about up and down? Gravitation limits us there. Not exactly, said the medical man. There are balloons, but before the balloons. Save for spasmodic jumping and the inequalities of the surface, man had no freedom of vertical movement. Still, they could move a little up and down, said the medical man. Easier, far easier down than up. And you cannot move at all in time. You cannot get away from the present moment. My dear sir, that is just where you are wrong. That is just where the whole world has gone wrong. We are always getting away from the present moment. Our mental existences, which are immaterial and have no dimensions, are passing along the time dimension with a uniform velocity from cradle to grave. Just as we should travel down if we began our existence fifty miles above the Earth's surface. But the great difficulty is this, interrupted the psychologist. You can move about in all directions of space, but you cannot move about in time. That is the germ of my great discovery. But you are wrong to say we cannot move about in time. For instance, if I am recalling an incident very vividly, I go back to the instance of its occurrence. I become absent-minded, as you say. I jump back for a moment. Of course, we have no means of staying back for any length of time, any more than a savage or an animal has of staying six feet above the ground. But a civilized man is better off than the savage in this respect. He can go up against gravitation in a balloon. Why should he not hope that ultimately he may be able to stop or accelerate his drift along the time dimension? Or even turn about and travel the other way? Oh, this, began Philby, is all... Why not, said the time-traveller. It's against reason, said Philby. What reason, said the time-traveller. You can show black is white by argument, said Philby, but you will never convince me. Possibly not, said the time-traveller. But now you begin to see the object of my investigations into the geometry of four dimensions. Long ago, I had a vague inkling of a machine. To travel through time, exclaimed a very young man. That shall travel indifferently in any direction of space and time, as the driver determines. Philby contented himself with laughter. But I have experimental verification, said the time traveller. It would be remarkably convenient for the historian, the psychologist suggested. One might travel back and verify the accepted account of the Battle of Hastings, for instance. "'Don't you think you would attract attention?' said the medical man. "'Our ancestors had no great tolerance for anachronisms.' "'One might get one's Greek from the very lips of Homer and Plato,' the very young man thought. "'In which case they would certainly plough you for the little girl. "'The German scholars have improved Greek so much.' "'Then there's the future,' said the very young man. "'Just think.' One might invest all of one's money, leave it to accumulate at interest, and hurry on ahead. To discover a society, said I, erected on a strictly communistic basis. Of all the wild extravagant theories, began the psychologist. Yes, 
so it seemed to me, and so I never talked of it until... Experimental verification, cried I. You are going to verify that. The experiment, cried Philby, who was getting brain-weary. Let's see your experiment anyhow, said the psychologist. It's all humbug, you know. The time-traveller smiled round at us, still smiling faintly and with his hands deep in his trousers' pockets. He walked slowly out of the room, and we heard his slippers shuffling down the long passage to his laboratory. The psychologist looked at us. I wonder what he's got. Some sleight-of-hand trick or other, said the medical man, and Philby tried to tell us about a conjurer that he had seen at Burslem. But before he had finished his preface, the time-traveller came back, and Philby's anecdote collapsed. Chapter 2 The Machine The thing the time-traveller held in his hand was a glittering metallic framework, scarcely larger than a small clock, and very delicately made. There was ivory in it and some transparent crystalline substance. And now I must be explicit, for this that follows, unless his explanation is to be accepted, is an absolutely unaccountable thing. He took one of the small octagonal tables that were scattered about the room and set it in front of the fire, with two legs on the hearthrug. On this table he placed the mechanism. Then he drew up a chair and he sat down. The only other object on the table was a small shaded lamp, the bright light of which fell upon the model. There were also perhaps a dozen candles about, two in brass candlesticks upon the mantel and several in sconces so that the room was brilliantly illuminated. I sat in a low armchair nearest the fire, and I drew this forward so as to be almost between the time-traveller and the fireplace. Philby sat behind him looking over his shoulder. The medical man the provincial mayor watched him in profile from the right. The psychologist from the left. The very young man stood behind the psychologist. We were all on the alert. It appears incredible to me that any kind of trick, however subtly conceived and however adroitly done, could have played out among us under these conditions. The time-traveller looked at us, and then at the mechanism. Well, said the psychologist, this little affair, said the time-traveller, resting his elbows upon the table and pressing his hands together above the apparatus, is only a model. It is my plan for a machine to travel through time. You will notice that it looks singularly askew, that there is an odd twinkling appearance about this bar, as though it was in some way unreal. He pointed to the part with his finger. Also, here is one little white lever, and here is another. The medical man got up out of his chair and peered into the thing. It's beautifully made, he said. It took two years to make, retorted the time-traveller. Then, when we had all imitated the action of the medical man, he said, Now I want you to clearly understand that this lever being pressed over sends the machine gliding into the future, and this other reverses the motion. This saddle represents the seat of a time-traveller. Presently, I am going to press the lever and off the machine will go. It will vanish, pass into future time, and disappear. 
Have a good look at the thing, look at the table too, and satisfy yourselves. There is no trickery. I don't want to waste this model and then be told I'm a quack. There was a minute's pause, perhaps. The psychologist seemed about to speak to me, but changed his mind. The time-traveller put forth his finger towards the lever. No, he said suddenly. Lend me your hand. And turning to the psychologist, he took that individual's hand in his own, and told him to put out his forefinger. So that it was the psychologist himself who sent forth the model time machine on its interminable voyage. We all saw the lever turn. I am absolutely certain there was no trickery. There was a breath of wind, and the lamp flame jumped. One of the candles on the mantel was blown out, and the little machine suddenly swung around, became indistinct, was seen as a ghost for a second, perhaps, as an eddy of faintly glittering brass and ivory. And it was gone. Vanished. Save for the lamp, the table was bare. Everyone was silent for a minute. And that is where we shall close the book on this part of tonight's episode for Down to Sleep. If you would like to hear the rest of this episode, a second half to this, then join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep to find out what happens in the next part of The Time Machine. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I hope that you enjoyed this reading. I thought that was pretty interesting indeed and might be one that we return to in the future and continue reading on the Patreon, I think. I quite enjoyed that. I hope you are down to sleep, feeling relaxed and ready to get into your dreams tonight. But thank you so much for being here. I will see you next week for episode 21. Until next time, good night.